Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. James 2 explains to us clearly that that if we see a brother hungry or destitute of food, uh, we who uh, say we have faith, we need to act upon that situation, not simply pray and bless them and go on our merry way. Oh, you're you're broke, you're destitute of food, you've run out of everything? Well, God bless you. I hope things go better with you tomorrow. And then we go on down the road. No, James says if we see a brother or sister in that situation, that, man, we, we need to assist. We need to help. The first Christians received an incredible gift of faith and peace through Christ. However, in social circles, those who became Christians could be ostracized by friends and family, which could cause suffering in many ways. Paul was using his connection with various churches as an opportunity to collect money for those in need. And Pastor David explains how even in our time today, we must be aware of the needs of others and seek how God wants to use us to help. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, A Heartfelt, Faith-Filled Gift. Well, my prayer is is that you will have as much fun with this study this evening as I had in preparing it and hopefully in in laying it out for you tonight. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. How many of you know how many chapters are in 1 Corinthians? 16, yeah, so you know what that means? We're in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, and you'd think by the time we're here, it's got 24 verses, we ought to just kind of blow through this thing, we'd end this first half of our two-part study of the modern church in ancient times. The first part is 1 Corinthians, second part is 2 Corinthians. But you know what? It ain't gonna happen. We're not gonna blow through chapter 16 tonight. As we've gone through the book of 1 Corinthians, we find out that the Apostle Paul had to deal with just a ton, a truckload of problems that were going on in this church there in Corinth. He dealt with things like cliques that were happening. Oh, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas. Oh, me, I'm a little bit holier than all of you. I'm of Jesus. And so all of these things that were going on. He dealt with discontentment, people within the church that were murmuring, complaining, and backbiting each other, all these kinds of battles that were going on. On one hand, he saw the church itself that was allowing immorality to continue on in the church. And then at the same time, they were judging 
judging and suing one another in secular courts. And so just the craziness. The church itself, so many of them, they were living and they were acting out a complete misunderstanding of what the marriage vows were all about. In that church, he found a failure of the people within Corinth to live their Christian lives in self-denial, dying to self in order that Christ might live through them. He found the church there that was toying with the world's ways of doing things, and they were thinking, and they were thinking that they weren't going to be affected by that kind of a deal. He found a total mistreatment of the Lord's Supper or of communion. He found this bizarre, unorganized times of worship that they were having. He found a totally incorrect use of spiritual gifts. He found doubts and flat-out denials concerning the resurrection. But other than that, it was a great church. There was so much that Paul had all, has already covered in, these 15, in the 15 previous chapters. And now we're coming to the last chapter and we see the Apostle Paul now, he's gonna close it out really with some really helpful instructions or directions for us in three areas of what we're looking at as stewardship, okay, stewardship. The first of all, he looks at stewardship of money. Secondly, he looks at stewardship of opportunities. And thirdly, he's gonna look at the stewardship of people. And these are probably the greatest resources that any church has. The finances, the opportunities of ministry, and the people that God brings to us. Now, as great as these resources are, I, I wanna tell you up front, I'll, I'll be absolutely honest with you, over the last 25 years, we've not done as well as we should in caring for those kinds of resources. I'll just be honest with you. There's been times that we've blown it totally. There's been times, not, not viciously, not intently, but just, again, choices that we've made or actions that we've taken that we have un, unfortunately kind of messed up. Over the last 25 years, we've not done as well in guarding, in honoring, in recognizing how precious each of these resources are. And you see, if we honestly look at ourselves, and I'm talking the whole church, if we honestly look at ourselves, we're really not a whole lot different than the church at Corinth. Amen? Okay, three of you understand that. The rest of you kind of wonder, well, I'm not like Corinth, no way. But the truth is, is these same issues in one way or another happen, yeah, even in Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande to some extent or another. We are all, the one thing you need to understand though, in the midst of that, we are all a people in process, a people in process. We're all on the journey. Not a one of us has arrived yet. That includes your pastor, your assistant pastors, your elders, all the ministry leaders, and each one of you that come and are filling the seat here or listening to us on the internet or on the radio, the fact is, is we are all in process. If the Apostle Paul himself says that I don't count that I have yet apprehended it, but this one thing I do, I continue to press forward onto that high call of Christ Jesus, then you know what, if Paul hadn't arrived, I know I haven't arrived. And you ought to be understanding that same thing yourself. So that's why we as a church, we as individuals, need to continually be going back to the book, 
going back and saying, Lord, who are you? Who am I? And how should I live my life according to what your word declares? The continual seeking of the leading of the Holy Spirit within our lives, not by the, the design and the directions that man comes up with, but again, being quiet enough in our spirits to be able to sit before the Lord and hear the Holy Spirit working and moving and directing us. Now, you might say, well, God's never spoken to me in an audible voice. Well, I would tend to disagree with you because God has spoken, I believe, to every one of us in an audible voice. Sometimes it's from behind a pulpit like this. The words that are speaking, they're not the words of man, but God speaks directly to us. Some, I'll just tell you, this is free. There's no charge for this. But you know, when pastors go to meetings where there's other pastors that are preaching, a lot of times we don't really listen real well, okay? A lot of times we kind of critique, okay? Now, we, we do that, okay? But it's amazing sometimes the very guy that I think, why in the world is that guy up there? Suddenly that's the very guy that God sends the message and penetrates a heart. So yeah, I think that God can speak to you in an audible way. God hasn't really revealed himself to me. Well, I tend to disagree with you because God probably has revealed himself to you either through his word or through the, the words or the actions of other people. Sometimes the, the care, the love, the concern, the hand, the, the, the gift from someone else is really God reaching out his hand and touching you. God speaking to you, God touching you, revealing himself to you. So all of these things, that's why I encourage you, all of us from the pastoral leadership to the elders, to the ministry leaders, to each one of us that are, again, call ourselves part of the body of Christ. We need to stay in his word. We need to be seeking the leading of his Holy Spirit. Yes, wisdom is found in many counselors. Make sure that you seek godly counselors, though, not the counsel of the world. The world moves at a different track and moves at a different direction than what you and I are. So again, godly counselors, the moving of the Holy Spirit, the word of God working within our lives. So now all that being said, that was for free, no charge. It just moves on from here. Let's look now together and prayerfully, hopefully glean together from these opening words of this final section of 1 Corinthians here in chapter 16. Let's look at just the first four verses this evening right now. 1 Corinthians 16, beginning in verse one, Paul writes, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So here Paul begins this last section, this last section of instruction to the church. 
Apparently, there, there's concern that's been forwarded to him, this concern about the collection for the saints. We read back in chapter 7, he said that someone had written a letter to him speaking about sexual immorality, and he says, concerning the things written, I'm saying this here, he just says, concerning the collection of the saints. Maybe this was part of that letter that uh, earlier on he addressed, or maybe this was just simply something that someone had shared with him personally or by word of mouth that the church was really struggling here about this whole idea of collection for the saints. But he gives a response to them here in chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Now we know and we understand from other letters and the book of Acts that Paul was actually requesting the Gentile churches throughout all of Asia and Macedonia to give a financial gift of love to the church in Jerusalem. According to Acts 3, we find how as the church in Jerusalem first began and began to grow, the members had all things in common. Acts chapter 4, verse 34 tells us, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to, the, to each one as anyone had need. So that beginning church, yeah, there was a lot of needs and again, just the fire of Christ within the lives of these new believers, man, they were saying, you know what? I've got all this I'm not using. I'm gonna sell that and bring it to the church. You know the story of Ananias and Sapphira that again, they, it wasn't the gift that they give, it was the lying that they did. And that's what God was troubled with. If you don't know what I'm talking about, read Acts chapter five. But as the church grew, you need to understand the resources of even the wealthy believers, they began to be stretched. I mean, they only had so many things that they could sell and, and assist the others within the church. And about that same time, persecution started coming into the church and the persecution grew more and more intense. In Jerusalem, you need to understand that almost all of these first converts had previously been Jews. And so now they're leaving Judaism and they're coming into Christianity. And these Jews who came to a saving faith in Christ, well, it wasn't long before they were being ostracized from the rest of the Jewish community. All of their family, their, their, their friends, as well as their business customers and their suppliers they were cutting them off. They were shutting them down. Can you imagine being a Christian or a a Jewish businessman, you've got Jewish suppliers, Jewish customers, suddenly you come to Christ. I'm not shopping at your store anymore because I'm still Jew and now you become a Christian. I'm gonna go over to this, your, your neighbor over here who is still a Jew. I'm gonna shop at his store. What about the suppliers? The break that you used to get from your Jewish suppliers? Suddenly, that's probably gone and very likely, even the ability to buy from these guys is gone. So again, your business is shut down. Your family has, has again, written you off. All of these things. Those who remained as Jews, well, for them, these, these converts had in essence and in all practicality, they, they had died. 
And often, even as it is today, the, the Jewish families would declare a, a Shiva for them. That's a, a Jewish uh, a mourning for the dead. So you were a Jew, you became a Christian, you're dead in our eyes. And that's what it was. Uh, the financial hardship they had to incur, the loss of income, homes, family, all of the assistance that was there because they were part of the Jewish community. Now they've become a Christian and now all of that's written off. The church of Jerusalem was suffering due to their commitment to Jesus Christ. Well, along with that, comes a widespread famine within the area at about the same time. That was due to an extended drought that had happened in the area. This had been prophesied by, by some of the prophets of the time, and in particular, one guy by the name of Agabus, and in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, and following, Luke tells us how Agabus stood up, and he foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability should send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So all around, they realized, man, in Judea, this is gonna hit really hard. This is gonna impact them very directly. Everyone suffered from this famine and from this drought. But those who had been excluded from the rest of the community, guess what? They suffered even greater. I mean, in a hard time for our community, but yet you're even cast out of the community. It's gonna be even more difficult for you. Well, Paul saw this as a twofold opportunity to, to be able to assist them. It, number one, the first thing, it, it was just the right thing to do. He had brothers and sisters in Christ who were struggling. James 2 explains to us clearly that, that if we see a brother hungry or destitute of food, uh, we who uh, say we have faith, we need to act upon that situation, not simply pray and bless them and go on our merry way. Oh, you're, you're broke, you're destitute of food, you, you, you've run out of everything. Well, God bless you. I hope things go better with you tomorrow. And then we go on down the road. No, James says if we see a brother or sister in that situation that, man, we, we need to assist, we need to help. The whole situation of us taking a, a, a team to Louisiana. There were people there that needed help. They still need help. But it was an opportunity just for us to reach out in the love of Christ. That's in one way, but there's a multitude of ways that we can do this. Secondly, of this twofold opportunity that Paul saw, he said that it was an opportunity in a very tangible way for the connection of the whole body of Christ to come together, the Jew and the Gentile. Remember, the church in Jerusalem was primarily made out of converted Jews. And there was a real struggle with them in thinking that this Gentile could also become a Christian. So now Paul says, well, if we get these Gentile Christians assisting, you know what? That's gonna soften the heart of these Jewish Christians. And so again, we see that going on. In Romans 5, 26 tells how the, Jew, how the Gentile actually owes it to the Jew because of all the spiritual blessings that they had received from the Jews. Paul writes in Romans 5, he says, for they were pleased to do that. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had come to share in the spiritual blessings of the Jews, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So a very practical way that, that Paul is saying that the Gentiles needed to bless the Jewish community of brothers. 
So not only the church in Corinth, but nearly all of the churches in Asia and in Macedonia were contributing to this fund because the need for assistance was so great. So from the recognized need came an organized response. A recognized need brought about an organized response. Paul clearly explains to the church how and when they ought to take this offering or this gift of compassion. What does he say there in verse two? He says, on the first day of the week. Okay, church, what is the first day of the week? Sunday. Sunday. Yes, Sunday. So again, the, the time that the Gentile church was then meeting together. They were meeting on Sundays as a celebration or as a recognition of the resurrection. So he says on the first day of the week. In other words, when you guys come together as a church, that's when it ought to happen. Let each one of you lay something aside. We'll get into more of that in, in a moment. He says also storing up as he may prosper. We'll look at that in a little bit. In order that there be no collections when I come. Paul wanted to make sure that they were giving out of their heart and not just because Paul was there you know, saying, hey, come on, you need, you need to give, you need to give. More often than not, we here as a church, if we have special speakers or special ones that come, we try not to take a special offering at that time. We either take an offering or uh, just take it from the funds, from, again, the, the, the regular support of the ministry. Sometimes you'll, you know that on our first Sundays when we take our mission offering, we can tell you who it's going to because we're going to have a speaker from that mission organization coming within the next week or two, and that's what this uh, offering is going to be about. Paul says, don't, don't be doing this when I'm there. Don't make it uncomfortable on you and, and make me feel weird about this thing. Just, just consider, as you come together on Sundays, to bring this gift, store it up, and then when I come, we'll take care of it. One of the things we learn from the Apostle Paul, as well as history and the tradition of the Jewish synagogues and the early church, giving, financial giving for them was systematic, it was regular, it was organized, and it was handled with integrity. At least that's what the plan was, okay? I want you to get that down again. That giving, financial giving, should be systematic, regular, organized, and handled with integrity. Now, for those of you who've been a part of this fellowship for a while, you know that very seldom do we ever speak of money unless it just simply comes up as we go systematically through the word of God. Well, this is one of those occasions, okay? Now, if it offends you that the church speaks about finances, you're probably gonna be offended by much of your Bible, okay? Because the Bible speaks about it all throughout it. The Old Testament prophet, well, you, you go all the way back to the time of Moses and all that Moses wrote about the tithes and the offerings and everything. You could look at the words of the prophets. I love what Malachi tells us. In Malachi chapter three, again, from the words of, of the Lord telling the people in Malachi chapter three, verse 10 and 11, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. 
Try me if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will catch this. If they are faithful in that, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. We're so glad you joined us today on The Open Word for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. You can find more messages from Pastor David and information about The Open Word by visiting our website, theopenword.com. If you're looking for a home church and are in the Casa Grande area, why not join us for a time of worship and Bible study? Calvary Chapel Casa Grande has services each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You can find location information and directions by going to theopenword.com and following the links to the church homepage. Now here's Pastor David with some information on how you can help support the ministry of The Open Word. Hey, I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, and God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But join us again as we continue digging deeper into the book of 1 Corinthians, right here on The Open Word.